<clears throat> I cannot express to you my delight, my utter delight and joy in being here. And it's not to preach, <laughs> but it's to be preached to. It's to have fellowship with those, as Brother Kenny said, of like precious faith and see the Lord's work and hear of it in every part by those who come and are recipients of his sovereign grace and mercy. I want you to turn this morning for a few minutes to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the last chapter, chapter 31. Proverbs 31. And I'll read to you about the first seven verses. <clears throat> the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. The title of my message is Strong Drink and Wine. As we can see in the opening statements of this chapter, these are words of instruction given to Solomon. And in them she warns of the dangers of too much wine, too much strong drink for the individual and especially a king. She tells him in that it's not good for a king to be lacking moderation, because if he's drunk, he might not make a right judgment among the inflicted. But contrary to what many individuals and religions teach, the use of strong drink or wine is not totally forbidden in Scripture. I grew up under that solemn covenant wherein you swore that you were not to drink any alcoholic 
beverage. But it is not forbidden in Scripture. But moderation is always commanded, and drunkenness is always forbidden. We have many warnings in Scripture. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink and continue until night till wine inflame them. That's a warning. Proverbs 20, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And then we have Ephesians 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But it's undoubtedly plain if we read the scripture that wine was a common drink in Israel. Many countries today, I've always said sin is regional in the eyes of men. It's geographical. In other words, if you're living in California, it's all right to drink wine, but it's not right to smoke. It's a sin. But if you're living where I live, where it was a great state of tobacco, North Carolina, it's, it's a sin to drink wine, but it's not a sin to smoke. But the only way we know sin is by what God says is sin. And he evidently, by what he did, Christ and his disciples drank wine, and he used it when he instituted the Lord's table. And his first miracle in Canaan involved wine. And the Pharisees said that John the Baptist had a devil because he did not drink wine, but they called the sinless Christ a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber because he did. You can't win with man. And rather than abuse strong drink and wine, the king is instructed to use his obvious abundance of it. You talk about a wine cellar. I'm sure Solomon had the very biggest and best. But she warns him that rather to than abuse it, but he was to use it to help men who are in desperate situations and in desperate conditions. She tells him in verse 6, give strong drink to them unto him that's ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. Use it wisely. Give it to these people. But in reality, this is really spiritual instruction. This is God telling his people, especially his servants, to do something. It's a spiritual command. And the strong drink and wine here has to do 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's represented, it's typified by strong drink and wine. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is often spoken of in these terms. It's that wine that cheereth God and man. Think about that. Has to be more than just liquid. He says this gospel is like wine in that it cheers God and man. It suits man as he is. It suits God as he is. Amazing. It is the wisdom of God. It honors God and it saves men. It's wine that maketh glad the heart of man and all to make his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. It's the gospel of Christ crucified. It's that message that God has ordained for old eternity so that it's called the everlasting gospel. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 54 for a moment. I mean, Isaiah chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 25, he tells us of Zion. He says in verse 6, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, and of fat things full of marrow, and of wines on the lees, well refined. God says, I'm going to make a feast. I'm going to serve to this people the best wine. I'm going to deal with them in this gracious way. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall be to take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in salvation. This gospel is glad It's wine that maketh glad the heart of man and the heart of God. And it's like, it seems like, it seems like as with wine, God has saved the best for the last. In other words, that was the claim in John 2. It says, and every man, and he saith unto them, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when they have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. We've had the gospel since Adam in the garden. 
We've had it all down through the ages, the mercy of God, these glad tidings to a people. But in these last days, the host of the feast has come. The Lord has given the best wine for the last. He's given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, the true vine. And he says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But there's a character and a condition to those for whom it was designed. Look at what he says here. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Now these brethren will tell you, we've got no gospel for most people. They're as satisfied with what they've got. They're as content to go out and meet God in their self-righteousness. They're as blind in their religion. They're typified in Matthew chapter 7. They say, we've done many good works in your name. We've preached in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. We love what we've got. We don't need anything. We're a savor of death unto them. <laughs> when we open this bottle, this gospel bottle, and begin to pour out this wine, this strong drink, it's a savor of death to so many. But it is to these who are ready to perish, to these whom God has made heavy of heart, bitter of soul, that he makes not only wanting, but needing to receive it. That is, when the Spirit of God comes to us in that spirit of conviction, and he makes us to know ourselves and to see ourselves as in ourselves perishing. <laughs> Just hopeless. Helpless sick of sin, guilty of conscience, fearful of impending judgment, and the wrath of God because of our sin, without hope, without strength, without a righteousness that God will accept. That's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for some sinners. I'm looking for some folks that are needy who have nothing by which to stand before God and be accepted. And because of these, these spiritual things, this bitterness of soul, this sadness, that gloominess, that burden, that afflicted, that felt poverty, that faintness, these needy sinners, I've got something for you. 
I think about those to whom Christ came. He walked out on the ship into the Isle of Gadara, I believe it was, and he met a maniac, a raging madman. So, so far gone, as we say. So, so dead in himself. So bound by the devil. So, so wretched. So naked and so dangerous to everybody. But that's who he was looking for. And he poured in strong drink and wine because he was ready to perish. I think about that woman at the well. The Bible says that he had a need to go through Samaria. What, what for? To meet a woman who was living in adultery, living in fornication, a woman who was ashamed to even come to the well at the proper time because the other women would look for her and mock her and such as that, and who didn't have a husband who had already five husbands. But that's who he was looking for. And he poured in strong drink and wine. He told her the truth. He revealed to her who he was. I think about that old publican who smote himself upon his breast, who said, God, have mercy on me to the sinner who went down to his house justified. That's who God saves. Or maybe on the other hand, a man like Paul, so self-righteous, so, so, so bound up in his deception and so, so proud of who he was and, and so learned of old uh, Bible things and so taught by man. And God unhorsed him and told him just exactly who he was. How do you know he told him who he was? Because said, Paul said, I was before a blasphemer. That always amazes me. That's what the Lord had to bring me to. To acknowledge, to confess that what I was before as a moral person, as that boy raised up in Sunday school, as that, as that man who had, had not committed adultery on his wife as that man who stood in the pulpit and was preaching in God's name. I was before a blasphemer. That's pretty strong when God pours that in your heart. You mean that all I've done for God? You mean it counted for nothing? Yes, it counted for sin. That which is highly esteemed among men, it's an abomination to God. I talked to a man earlier in the week, big, burly Marine, retired Marine, 
uh, decorated Marine, strong, his, his whole body pretty much covered with tattoos. And as I talked to him, and he began to ask me questions, and I'd answer him in uh, uh, every question he had, I'd answer him with the Bible. I'd tell him what the Bible says. And every time, he I won't tell you what he was said, but it was, dang. Are you kidding me? I never heard that before. Something else. I'd tell him, dang. You kidding me? I eat say a little stronger than that something. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This ain't what the other preachers have been telling me. This ain't this ain't the stuff that they've been telling me about living my life and and being a better Christian and all this stuff. This is about God. This is about what God's done. This is about the the living sovereign God. Dang. This ain't no wimpy gospel. This is the hard truth of the absolute sovereign God with whom we have to do. And we're looking for sinners in a desperate condition, made so by the Spirit of God, like that man who was fell among thieves on the road to Jericho. And all these other people are walking by him, and this priest and this Levite, and they, they're walking on the side of the road. But this Samaritan, who's a picture of Christ, who's the true good Samaritan, that's exactly who he was looking at. And he went to him, and what? He poured in oil and wine. That's what every sinner Every sinner that God saves, that's what he does. And he brings them in this neediness to see their unrighteousness. This is who the gospel is for, sinners, the ungodly, the unrighteous, the lost, left worse by every man-made remedy and religion. Like that woman who had an issue of blood, what happened? She'd spent all. She'd been to them all. And there's so many people like that. That religion has left a wreck who's either left them, it, it leaves them either in self-righteousness or despair. Some despair after God deals with them of their self-righteousness. Some, God deals with them in their, their despair and their utter depravity and, and sin, the blatant immorality and, and the, the, the self-righteousness. It's all sin. It takes strong drinking wine. And when God brings them, you know, as preachers, we ought to be encouraged. This gospel is strong drinking wine. If you turn over, over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. Paul, God sent Paul to Corinth. And if the truth was known, Corinth may have been an utterly, just a much more awful place than New York City or San Francisco. Everything there, every sin, every blatant immorality, Sodom and Gomorrah. It was so bad that Paul was afraid. But the Lord came to him in the night, and he said, Paul, you stand up, you preach, for I have much people in this city. You and I don't know where God's people are. We can't imagine the state that some of them are in. But if he sends the gospel there, it's for a purpose. It's not to save everybody. It's not to convert them all to moral people. The gospel is to call out his sheep. He's bringing them to a state of desperation, conviction of their sin, He's going to make them to be needy and thirsty and hungering after this righteousness. And we're there to pour it in. Listen to what Paul says as he speaks, writing to these believers at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Know ye therefore that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Don't you know that none of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God? Look at that next verse. And such were some of you. (laughs) That always amazes me. He gives all this list of all these things that we shriek out and we we draw back at and we say, abusers of themselves with mankind, homosexuality was there, bestiality, everything you can imagine was in that catalog at Corinth, like maybe Amsterdam where you get everything you want. But God had brought some of them poor sinners to their knees. Just like Paul, he had unhorsed them. And when Paul came on the scene preaching the gospel to those crowds in Corinth, wherever they were and however big they were or however small they were, the Lord mightily, powerfully used that gospel to reveal to him the the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation by grace. And he now states them as those who are no longer those things. And such were some of you. But you are what? but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God.
sovereign grace is the only grace there is. And a sovereign God, as, as Richard read in the reading, he's the, he's the only God there is. <laughs> We're not intruding on people. We're bringing his people the message through all of the things that are opposing it and all the things that are against it and all the powers of Satan that rise up against it and all the natural, uh, all the natural resistance that, that Bill spoke of uh, in our hearts resisting it. But this is strong grief. Somebody said that a certain kind of moonshine would wake the dead. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know about this gospel. It'll wake the dead. God will use it to wake the dead. To the dead spiritually, to the dead to God, to, the, to this natural man that receives not the things of God, to this resistance and this rebellion. It's described, this gospel is described as strong drinking wine, not just either. It's not just strong drink, it's not just wine. It's both shocking and soothing. I remember seeing a fellow in my young years drinks a take a sip of some moonshine <laughs> mixed with orange juice. I mean, the real stuff. And he took that big jar and he drank it down, drank a big swallow of it, and he gasped and he, he, he just about fell down and he, he looked like he was on fire. And then he said, whew, that was good. But you know that's kind of the way the gospel is. It's shocking, but it's soothing. It wakes us from our deadness. God uses it to wake us from our deadness. He uses it to bring us to life. He uses it to quicken our minds. He, he uses it to do all these things. And when he has revealed himself to us and taught us the grace of God and free salvation... Oh, it's a soothing thing. It's a soothing thing. But God says, I kill and make alive. How many cures are first destructive and painful and harsh at the first? The gospel is at the first strong drink. We're not, because we're not just disoriented, we're lost. You mean I'm lost? You're lost. We tell people that they are by nature God-haters. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Oh, that's so shocking. We hear that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
that there are none good, none that seek God, that we're blind, that we're lame, we're leprous, we're vile, we're unacceptable in ourselves to the, to the divine holiness. We're not just sick, we're dead. Graveyard dead, spiritually. And these preachers stand up before people and they give them spoonfuls of Kool-Aid. Make you feel good in the flesh. Make you, make you satisfied with your experience. Make you, make you happy on your way to hell. But I'm telling you, the gospel is strong drink. It's about God. It's about man as he is. I'll never forget Brother Mahan had that message and it turned, they turned it into a track. What is it to preach the gospel? Tell the truth about God. Tell the truth about man. It's to tell the truth about Jesus Christ and his word. It's to tell the truth about how God saves sinners. To the lost man, whether religious or irreligious, it's shocking. Oof. <laughs> That's why the gospel is so widely refused in our day. It's strong dream. It's about an eternal salvation. You get to talk about salvation before time. You get to talk about what God did before time. That's just a little too much for me. You get to talking about the gospel of God. You talk about the true and the living God as he is. You tell men that salvation didn't come from man, that it doesn't glorify man, that it is not accomplished by man, that it is an absolutely free gift, that it is a work of God wrought in Jesus Christ, that it's by and in one outside of ourselves. That is a salvation that's accomplished. That it's through him alone. That it's his work alone. That it's his blood alone. That it's his, his righteousness. He had a cup to drink of that which no other could drink. A drink which he alone could drink. And that was the cup of divine wrath for our sin. That's what he said. I have a cup to drink that you can't drink. That's one cup that we couldn't drink. The cup of divine wrath. God said, I've, I've already made the wine red. The wine red and the, the symbolism there is that God his judgment, rather than being something contrary to him, is something that he does as God. He'll be just in his damnation of the non-elect as he is of the salvation of the elect. But he drank that cup dry. You mean to tell me 
that what one man did over 2,000 years ago on that cross put an end to all the sins of his people forever, even those that came after him, even those sins that come after they supposedly believe. You mean to tell me that salvation is already accomplished, finished, that it's a done deal? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You mean to tell me that there's nothing left for me to do? That's exactly what I'm telling you. And to proud human flesh, that's strong drink. But when God teaches us what we are, when he reveals us just like the light you were talking about, I thought about how when you open the door of like an old woodshed that's been behind the house for hundreds of years untouched, and you open that door and the light begins to, to uh, permeate that darkness that's there, and it shows every old spider and snake and every old dusty thing. That's the way we are. No, I'm a good person. No, you're not. But the only way you'll ever know it, if God applies this strong drink to you, this gospel, and he uses his word to show you and give you a mirror to see exactly what you are. He doesn't do it totally. If he were to show me what I am in myself totally, all at one time, he'd just kill me. The wickedness, the vileness, the motives. I don't even want to think about it. I want something that will soothe me. (laughs) And the strange, strong drink that does that, the gospel of Christ's shed blood, the blood of the everlasting covenant of God's grace, Christ's atoning blood that alone pleased God. This is the only gospel that can cheer God and man. This is the gospel that honors God in his character, satisfies his justice, saves us all from our sins, and gives to him all the glory. She said, give strong drink to them, unto him that's ready to perish. I remember reading one time about how they teach lifeguards oftentimes. When men or women or children, when they're out there floundering and such in the sea, drowning, they come up and, and they're still floundering and all, They say, wait until they give up. And then lay hold of them and bring them to shore. When God saves a sinner, he has to bring us to the end of ourselves. Paul, a man in our church, he said, and he says it often, he said, I found out there's no hope for me but this. 
Ain't no other hope for a sinner like me but free grace. Christ crucified, that's the only way my sin could ever be put up. You can't die for me because you're a sinner, just like me. I can't die for you because I'm a sinner. But the Son of God can come in human flesh and die. Die as our substitute. But in the next verse, those are told what to do. (laughs) He says, let him drink. That's simply trust, believe, rely on Christ alone. Drink this strong drink. Drink this wine. Believe on Christ. Believe the gospel which none can do without the Spirit giving them life and faith. Drink it. The illustrations that God uses in regard to faith, they're all... In this flesh, just effortless. As a matter of fact, they're a ceasing from efforts. Christ is his people's Sabbath. What happened in the Sabbath? God ceased from his works. He just stopped. And that's what we do when we believe Christ. As those ready to perish, when we drink of Christ, we just cease from our own work, our own efforts to save ourselves. Cease from all the actions of religion. Cease from all works of self-righteousness. And we just rest. Boy, that's strong drink for most folks. They say, well, you, you, you need to... We need to be doing something. Yeah, we need to be resting. He said labor to enter in that rest. That's an amazing thing. That regardless of what's going on in this world, or regardless of whatever's going on in my family situation life, and there's always something going on that. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. But in the midst of it all, we just can still rest. It's God that sent it, and we have nothing to fear. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Christ has finished the work. What's left to do after something's finished? Rest. Rest. Let him rest and let him forget his poverty. Humanly speaking, sometimes it's hard for me to forget my poverty when the bills start coming in, you know. But everyone in Christ is absolutely rich. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. You're rich, Richard. Rich. We walk around sometimes like poor little pitiful Christians. We don't have anything because because uh, we don't have all these things of the world. And uh, No, we're rich. Rich in grace. The riches of grace. That's the only riches, true riches. They are. There are. An inheritance un, uh, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in the heavens for us. We're rich. And I love this. He said, let him remember his misery no more. No more. The only time in this life when we can regard ourselves as, as having no misery is when we look by faith to Christ, to him alone, to that which he has accomplished, to that which defines the true gospel of Christ crucified, which is his success. And when I see him hanging on that cross, God in flesh bleeding and dying for my sin, oh, I just forget my misery. Got a knee ache. I got a bill coming due. Somebody in my family is sick. I got miseries. But he said, let him forget his misery. Drink that wine of Christ's glorious finished work. Soothing to the soul. Oh, I'm telling you. We think about all these people around us, and they're in two categories mostly. They're the hard-set religionists, self-righteous like the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And then this other group on the other hand, like that maniac of Gadara, they're rough as a cob. but we have strong drink. No matter whether they're one or the other, God saves his people among them. And he does it by his precious, mighty, omnipotent gospel. I love his gospel. I love that it's the comfort of his true people. I love that it glorifies him. I love that it it stirs me. It it is strong. But it soothes me. God bless you. I love you. Okay. Uh all? No, no. 
Yeah. Oh, lead us in the word of prayer for the feet meal in the back, please.